This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. And hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Jerry's over there. Chuck's wearing a hat. So it's stuff you should know. Yeah. Still, still pretty sad. Yeah. Are you really? <laughs> sure. Oh, R.I.P. You know what? I'm getting the, uh, Josh is referencing my last chance garage hat that I've talked way too much about. Um, I'm getting the patch remade as we speak. Whoa. I actually found one on eBay that had been sold like, uh-huh. three months ago. And it's you, all a big conspiracy. Is that right? No, no, not okay. really. But I found a picture of the patch that I sent to a patch maker uh-huh. who like can digitally reproduce this thing. Nice, man. Well, but then I got to find the right hat. It's coming back home. Well, that's step one. That's a big step one. Yeah, I'm getting a few patches and a few hats this time. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. You can name them one through eight. That's right. <laughs> uh, let's see, Chuck. You worked in the uh, film industry previously. Yeah, so did you technically. Yeah. <laughs> um, you did more than I did by far. You w- worked in front of and behind the camera. That's right. Um, did you ever work with a steady cam at all? Yeah. So, like, you've seen these things up close. Yep. I don't recall Scott or anybody using one. We did not have one on our show. Okay. They're expensive. Okay. But, I mean, there was some pretty good equipment on set, it seemed like to sure. me. But there was no steady cam, right? Nope. Because I was trying to recall... And I could not, for the life of me, remember a moment when there was a awesome, like, extendo arm camera with, like, no. all of the components exploded out into different parts of a pole. That didn't happen, because he would have walked in and said, what's that? Right. And everyone would have laughed, and you would have been like, why does everyone make fun of me? Just I would have been like, I don't know I'll, all this stuff. I'll be in my dressing room. <laughs> uh, no, we never use one on our uh, TV show for Science Channel, because, like I said, it's pricey to rent. Um, and this is a bit of a giveaway, but a, a person... Steadicam operator mm-hmm. comes with the package, right? With all the equipment, it's a lot of times their own, and uh, it's you know it's pricey, yeah, to pay for that that lady or that dude, right? But the reason it is pricey is because it's it has really good effect, yeah, and uh, the person who's doing it really knows what they're doing, yeah. I I, I don't know, but just from researching this, it seemed like. They were probably the most skilled tradesperson on the set at any given time when they were on the set. Is that right? Well, I think it's just a matter of what skill. Uh, it's just a different skill. Are they like the highest echelon of camera operators? No, it's just different. Okay. Like a top-notch. They're niche. Yeah. Okay, I got it then. 
But but you don't just wade into Steadicam and right. and start getting work the next day. It does take a lot of work <laughs> to master. But like a good dolly grip uh, is just as skilled right. at just pushing that thing around. But that takes a very... Non-herky-jerky. Well, it's not going to be herky-jerky anyway, but just uh, to hit the marks right. and to, Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff takes a great amount of skill. Well, let's talk about this because Steadicam, you know, when I came of age... Was already invented. It was it was basically became commercially available the year I was born. So I don't really know a world prior to Steadicam. I've never seen a movie that came out before <laughs> 1976. Funny, and um, I, I'm just used to it, right? Yeah. But it's 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 interesting to to look back and see that there there actually is a point in time where this one dude who was actually kind of an outsider of the movie business um, basically changed it permanently forever. For sure. Yeah. Uh, his name was Garrett Brown. Is Garrett Brown. Yeah, he's still around, right? Yeah. And he, um, he was working, uh, for, well, he was working in TV commercials and on Sesame Street in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. Yeah. And, um, he got a little frustrated as camera people do, uh, pre steady cam with not being able to accomplish certain shots. Yeah. There's supposedly there were 30 impossible shots. That just based on the the equipment at the of the day, you just couldn't do, right? Yeah, and a lot of it had to do with like rough terrain. Sure, staircases were a big one. Yeah, and the reason these shots were impossible, it's not like you couldn't lug a camera around up and down the stairs, but the movement that the camera recorded would be so jarring that it would render the film like that that it would be unusable. Yeah, and this was in a day before. I mean, there were shaky cam shots and like Cassavetes and all these early indie filmmakers did a lot of like avant-garde handheld stuff, but it was known as avant-garde. Right. Cause it looked different and yeah. people were used to kind of smoother looking things in mainstream movies at the time. Yeah. It had like a real frenetic energy to it. Yeah. Which you see all the time now. It's right. like a bona fide thing. But I, and it wasn't just like picking up the movements of the, the camera. It was like, telegraphing them as far as the human brain's concerned because we take it for granted but we have in our own brains a a pretty complex system yeah. that involves the inner ear coordinating with the um, movement of the retina uh-huh. so that it offsets the movement and the motion and the jarring um, impact of like just walking yeah like if we didn't have that we wouldn't be able to focus on anything while we were moving around. Yeah, you wouldn't. People wouldn't jog. They would get sick and vomit every time it, they jog. Exactly right. And you certainly wouldn't be able to like read Us magazine while you were jogging or something like that. <laughs> no. The fact that you can, yeah, it really is a, a, a. It really shows how incredibly complex and well developed the system is, right? Yes. That's what the Steadicam that Garrett Brown um, created sought to recreate and he, he did it. He nailed it like on the first time out basically. Yeah. Cause we, we mentioned a dolly that is, um, people that know film know this stuff is like pretty rudimentary information, but a lot of people don't know what a dolly is and they see the word dolly grip in a movie. They just think it sounds funny. Um, but the dolly is how you typically would get a smooth shot. It's just a big, super, super heavy sled with wheels. Right. That the camera sits on and the camera operator sits on and it's either on a very smooth floor or it's on a piece of track like a little railroad car mm-hmm. and it pushes along and that's how you get those nice smooth shots. Right. So that's a dolly. The problem with the dolly is, is you can't really lay that track over um, a rocky terrain if you're filming nah. on Mars or something like that. No. And like you said, you can't uh, 
push it up and down stairs. It just had its limitations. Right, it did. So Garrett Brown said, I'm sick of these limitations. I'm so tired of being limited by dollies, stupid dollies. <laughs> I'm going to invent something better. And so he tinkered around um, with his what was called the Brown Stabilizer at first. Yeah. Which he later renamed to the Steadicam. Yeah. And to show off, um, like at first he, he was just using them in commercials and he was like, this is way bigger than just commercials. Yeah. I'm going to make a, a sizzle reel. And he made a sizzle reel of the 30 impossible shots that you just couldn't do before. And he did it with the Steadicam, but he didn't show how it was done. Yeah. And you can... um he was able to save 10 of those shots mm-hmm. uh, and digitize them. And a couple of years ago, he finally released online uh, 10 of those. So you can actually go see this original reel. Yeah, it's pretty cool. see uh, his yeah. wife and his best friend, like, just doing stuff. while Just he's, doing stuff. Like, you know, like, uh, one of them was um, swimming. You can't run alongside somebody swimming, apparently. It was an, an impossible shot. I'm not quite sure why. Well, you just couldn't run alongside someone doing anything. Oh, okay. That's what it was? Yeah. Even with a dolly? Uh, well, no, you could have, you could have laid Dolly track down the length of a swimming pool. Sure. Right. That's why I didn't understand that one was an impossible shot. Um, but to show off, he goes, he goes around a, um, a slide just to kind of show. Maybe, maybe that was the impossibility of it. But then his buddy gets out of the pool and like walk and like he's, he pivots around him and I'm sure he, when he put this reel together and he sent it out, the directors are like, uh, this is magic sorcery well it was mind-blowing and some people say it was the first uh viral video because it was shared around hollywood literally in a matter of days Mm -hmm. everybody in hollywood was saying what in the world like you said what is this sorcery right this garrett brown has bestowed upon us yeah it's it was a, a bit of a mic drop as far as that reel goes. And Stanley Kubrick, being Stanley Kubrick, mm-hmm. sent a message uh, to Garrett Brown that said, if you are really concerned about protecting its design before you fully patent it, I suggest you delete the two occasions on the reel where the shadow on the ground gives the skilled counterintelligence photo interpreter a fairly clear representation of a man holding a pole with one hand with something or other at the bottom of the pole, which appears to be slowly moving all of that is Stanley Kubrickian for, uh, hey, there's a shadow in, in one of your shots. Right. <laughs> of, of the steady cam op. Yeah. Which was pretty cool of him to do. Sure. Because I'm sure there were plenty of people in Hollywood who would have been like, okay, I think I kind of get the idea of what this was. Because there was no suggestion whatsoever of what, what Garrett Brown had used to get these shots except in those shadows. So he went eek and went and immediately cut those, yeah. those, I think, 14 seconds out of his reel and then released the second edition. And it, it looked pretty good. I mean, it's, it's rough compared to today's standard. Sure, but, but I mean, for the like, time, it was it was like unbelievable. Right, it yeah. changed everything. Oh yeah. Um, and one of the uh, shots that he got was uh, his wife Ellen. Uh-huh. He said, uh, "Dear, why don't you put on your most seventies bell bottoms you can find, <laughs> yeah. and uh, I'm going to run up behind you as you run up the steps to the Philadelphia Museum of Art, and maybe when you get to the top, you can raise your hands in <laughs> triumph and." I will spin around you. And if that so- shot sounds familiar, uh, it actually attracted a guy, a director named um, John, what is it, Avildsen? Yeah, John G. Avildsen. Um, who said, I like this. I'm going to use it in this little film I'm directing called Rocky. Yeah. And I didn't get uh, whether or not this was the case, but did they um, did they locate Rocky in Philadelphia because of those steps? 
No. Because he said, how did you do that, and um, where are those steps? I don't think so, man, because I wondered that, too. Like, uh, like, did he not have a scene written where Rocky just runs up those steps? Right. I mean, Stallone wrote it. Right. Um, I think they we'll, added We'll just it. have to ask him. Okay. Hey, Sly. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering if you could yeah. do it. That was pretty good. I answered in that little moment. You'll, someone will have to interpret that. <laughs> <laughs> Great movie, though, man. I, I rewatched that. Uh, Rocky? Yeah, like this year. Yeah. From beginning to end. Just phenomenal movie. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to get Emily to watch it. Has she never seen the original? No. And it's I'm, its own thing for sure. Like, it's not it's much not a like boxing the sequels. movie. No. Really. It's a love story for the most part. It's a love story and like uh, um, the triumph of the little guy. Yeah. Story for sure. Yeah. Fe- featuring boxing. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. But two and three and up on onward, oh, yeah. it's like a totally different thing. Yeah, but those were good too. Yeah. They said, let's take your story, take out the heart. And insert cocaine instead. <laughs> insert insert uh, Mr. T. I don't get the cocaine reference. Well, it's just the 80s and Hollywood got oh, their hands okay. on it. Sure. You know what I mean? I gotcha. Uh, yeah, that's a good question, though. I wonder about that. If he surely they didn't remake it for Philadelphia just for that. Well, but the, the point is, is Garrett Brown created on this sizzle reel. The one of the most iconic yeah. shots in filmmaking history, for sure. And he sent that reel out, and within that year, I believe, 1976, three major motion pictures hired him to operate his Steadicam for it. Um, there was Rocky. Yep. There was um, what was the one about Woody Guthrie? Bound for Glory. Yeah. I think that one came out first, so that was the first actual like. Right. Uh, and that one. Uh, the steady cam op was Garrett Brown, I think, for all these, because uh-huh. he was the only guy that knew how to. He got a lot of work early on. Yeah, and I think the, the operator. I think the patent was still pending until 1977, so I'm sure like, he didn't let that thing out of his sight. <laughs> Everybody, close your eyes while I shoot this. Uh, but on Bound for Glory, he uh, was on a crane even that lowered down, stepped off the crane. Mm-hmm. So um, people had seen crane shots, but then for the crane to go down, 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 and then all of a sudden start following this guy, everyone was like, "What in the world?" Right, there would have been a cut. Yeah. After the crane stopped and then before, you know, they, they would have cut and he would have gotten in position and then started up again. This is one smooth shot. One smooth shot. Yeah. And then the other one was Marathon Man. Yeah. So Another just great movie. right out of the blue, this guy who was a commercial director and made short films for Sesame Street changed filmmaking like single handedly. Yeah. And won an Academy Award uh, in 1978 for technical achievement. Uh, got that patent in 77. And... Um, well, that's it. That's the history of the steady cam. That's it, everybody. <laughs> Good night. But we're going to, should we take a break and tell everyone how this thing works? Let's do it, man. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. 
Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chuck. So the study camp, do you remember when we did our episode on breathalyzers? Oh, boy, that was a long time ago. And we found out that the breathalyzer is one of the most complicated machines yeah. on the planet. It, it, I, I kind of hated that one. Like there were there were crystals involved somehow. Mm-hmm. I hated that one, too. Dark crystals. <laughs> there were. Um, this is a bit like that. Like if you really dive into study camps like this article on How Stuff Works does, it's 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 labyrinthine. Talk about the dark crystal. Yeah. We're talking labyrinth instead. Yeah, but we're going to simplify it because uh, you don't need to break this thing apart and look at every component like this article does. I mean, it really gets involved. <laughs> uh, what you should do is look at a picture of someone operating one. Yeah. And just because when you look at it, you go, it, it all makes a lot more sense. Right. And there, there's really just three main parts to the whole thing. There's a vest. There's an arm that's attached to the vest. And then the other end of the arm is attached to what's called the sled. Yeah. Which is what the camera and um, its components are mounted on, right? Yeah, and that arm. It. Um, <clears throat> I mean, just pick your picture yourself wearing a uh, like a baby Bjorn baby carrier, okay. except for instead of the baby at your sternum, there's a mechanical arm coming out, like a spring arm lamp. Yeah, like a accordion arm or a spring arm lamp. Right, and it's, it's virtually the same thing. Well, yeah, and guess who <clears throat> made one of these who? by himself before they started making them for. At home, people. Who? Casey? No. Who? My brother, of course. Oh, did he really? Yeah. Yeah, my brother made one of these in like the early 90s. Did he really? Out of uh, door hinges and rubber bands and springs. Does he still have it? Is it in the Smithsonian? I don't know. It's in the Scottsonian. Nice. Which is where all his, his early inventions. With all his pinball machines? Yeah, but he made one. He basically did the same thing. He, he looked at it and looked at these uh, swing arm lamps and, right. and accordion arm lamps and... It's like, well, it's the same thing. I'll just make a version of that. It, vir- it is. And it worked pretty good. It's virtually the same thing. Yeah. So the whole point of a steady cam is that it basically simulates, or the arm at least, simulates a human arm, right, to where it can move around very easily. Yeah. Um, and it redistributes the weight of the camera, which can be up to like 70 pounds. I imagine probably more. Yeah. The whole unit is pretty heavy, and it's not easy to operate. But it hold- it'll wear you out. It holds it effortlessly, and it holds it in place. This arm does. And it does it by using springs. And you can adjust the tension of the springs by using a cable and pulley system. Yes. So that it offsets the balance of the camera and holds it in space in front of the camera operator, basically so that they can move it effortlessly up, down to the side. Um, you can put the camera on top of the sled so that you get high shots. You can switch it so it goes on the bottom so you can get low angle shots. Yeah, the traditional, it's called high mode and low mode, and high mode is... <clears throat> Uh, it doesn't mean it's high. It just means it's uh, on the top of the unit. Mm-hmm. And then low mode is when it's on the bottom. So if you wanted to film uh, a mouse running across the floor, you would put it in low mode. Right. If you want to film a human, you'd put it in high mode. Yeah. 
And the, the camera itself is broken out into pieces, which is kind of an ingenious trick that, uh, I guess Garrett Brown came up with himself. I think he did. Um, and this is the, this is the third part, the camera sled, right? Yes. The sled is what holds all the equipment. Right. And it's basically a pole with a little bit at the top called the stage. Yeah. And that's where the camera goes, or it could be at the bottom, wherever the camera is. Sure. The camera's mounted to the stage. Yes. Then you get the pole itself, and then the, I guess the arm is connected to the pole by a, um, a gibbel? A gimbal. A gimbal, that's right. And that's yeah. like an old technology. It's basically sure. something that uses basically a gyroscopic action mm-hmm. to, um, take the movement of whatever is seeking to move whatever you want to hold still and getting rid of it. Yeah. Like everything around it moves except for the thing that you want to hold still. Yeah, it's pretty neat. It's super neat. And that's just the the one arm that's connected to the pole. Yes. So you can see how complicated this thing is. That This guy sat back and I think in a hotel room somewhere he put it together, uh, Garrett Brown, the first one. There's just the ingenuity it took to, to put this together. It's pretty pretty in depth as far as inventions go. Yeah, and there's a little science to it. Uh, there's there's something called moment of inertia. It's basically how much that camera is resistant to rotation. Mm-hmm. So if you want the camera to be still, you want to increase that resistance to the rotation. And uh, this is determined by a couple of different things: uh, how much mass there is to the object, and how far that mass is from the uh, from its own axis of rotation. So by spreading the camera out, he basically took the little you know, cameras come with a monitor now, so you can see what's going on. Right. And a big heavy battery. Yeah. He took the monitor off of the camera. He took the battery off of the camera and redistributed that up and down the pole. Uh-huh. So what he ended up doing was spreading out that mass, uh, which takes away the center of gravity from the camera itself. Yeah, because like with a regular camera where all the components are in one single unit, that center of gravity is inside the camera. Yeah. So it's easy to rotate. But since he exploded it out into its various components, he made that center of gravity land somewhere on the pole. Right. And the gimbal attaches to the pole just above the center of gravity so that the camera operator holds the pole and manipulates the camera at the center of gravity, which makes it very easy to, to um, balance, keep balance. Yeah, and they, they do a good job in this article. If you like, just take a broomstick and you find that center of gravity with your finger, you can hold it with the, with your finger and lift it up and down. Right, and it, it's, it just, it's balanced on your finger because you're hitting that center of balance. That's right. It's the same principle. Yeah. Um, and in fact, if you took, uh, if you took that same broomstick and cut it off and you just had three feet of broomstick mm-hmm. and just took your SLR camera and screwed that broomstick into the bottom of your camera uh-huh. instead of a tripod, right. that would function. You could walk around with that. And it would be steadier than if you just had it in your hand. Oh, I could see that because of the, the change of the center of gravity. Change of the center of gravity. And if you put a little counterweight at the bottom, mm-hmm. it would make it even more steady. Yeah. And that's the whole concept of the Steadicam sled. Yeah. Then attach that to an arm, that, that uh, accordion arm. Right. And you're cooking with gas. Yeah, because you were saying like if you walk around with just the pole holding or the broomstick, cut off broomstick, and you're holding it... Um, just with your hand, yeah. it's steady. The point of the arm is it's taking your hand out of the equation and replacing it with something that can isolate movement even more yeah. so that your movement of you walking just gets lost within the arm before it ever gets to the camera and could shake it. Yeah, like if you did it with a broomstick, your arm is the same thing as a cam arm. Right. Except, except it's better. The cam <laughs> arm is. 
is better than your human arm. Right. Yes. Exactly. Pretty neat stuff. It is neat stuff. Um, and I think that's it for the science, man. We made it through it. Yeah. I mean, it's all got to be very precisely balanced. Um, you don't just throw the stuff on the pole willy-nilly. No, and they point out that the balance of the camera can actually change during filming. Yeah. Just from the film moving from one end of the camera to the other as, sure. it, as it records, right? Well, yeah, in the old days when they used film, for right. sure. Nowadays, it's just that digital card. Yeah, I'm well, sure not always. Quentin Tarantino's camera operators yeah. have to deal with this. Yeah, and if you've ever been on a job with a Steadicam, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of breaks where, I mean, you can adjust them on the fly more now, but mm-hmm. I remember there just being a lot of breaks where the Steadicam uh, op would say, hold on, you know, I need five minutes, and they'd go over and they have a little stand that they put it on to right. take, because, you know, it, it takes the weight off to a certain degree, but it's still a lot of weight to be carrying on a vest on your chest. Yeah. Um, and running and moving yeah. and doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a tough gig. Like, there's a pretty amazing video. Did you watch it of that Eurovision shot? No. There's a guy from, I think, Belarus singing and they showed, oh, did, they showed him, like, I did see that. he, he's like, they, they, they showed the shot and then they showed what, Somebody filming the shot being done, and the guy with the steady cam wearing the vest rides down the aisle on a, a um, Segway. Is that what he's on? Yeah, okay. hops off, runs up this ramp, and then starts circling around the guy who's singing. And it's a pretty amazing thing. It's a great shot, but then when you see how it's done, you're like, yeah. "Wow, that guy deserved a, a standing ovation." It would have been uh, more impressive had it not like the subject matter been more. Uh... Interesting, <laughs> and the video quality been yeah, better. Pretty, pretty bad. Like if it was a Scorsese movie, you'd be like, "Wow!" Sure, but it was this, you know, kind of corny. Uh, well, I mean, it looked like a American Idol or something. It was, but it was American Idol. If you took American Idol at its peak and then spread it out over Eurasia, <laughs> and and like it was popular over that that large of a population, that's what Eurovision is. That's right. So uh, you want to talk about some of the shots when we come back after a break? Please. Okay. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The, I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
All right. So, Chuck, um, in addition to that Rocky shot and that Eurovision shot, there are some other very famous shots, classic shots of all time. Uh, yeah. That had to do with Steadicam. That couldn't have been done with without Steadicam. Well, The Shining is the first one that pops into most people's minds mm-hmm. because, uh, like we said, Kubrick was a big fan of this invention mm-hmm. and uh, immediately started talks with Garrett Brown on how to uh, help him out with this movie, The Shining, that he was making. Right. And um, apparently they kind of battled one another quite a bit on uh, the set of The Shining, and, and Garrett Brown later admitted he said a lot of that was probably... Uh, what do you call it? Like inventor's pride or something. Right. Kind of getting in the way yeah. of this like brilliant auteur. So, um, Kubrick already had his own ideas on how to best use this thing that this other guy invented. Right. Um, and you know, the shining's classic example, those tricycle shots. Yeah. Uh, the famous maze chase at the end. Yep. Uh, very iconic in motion picture history. Yeah. And, um, I mean, the, the, how did they, do you know how they did that? That shot behind Danny on his little big wheel? Uh, they probably just went to low mode and... Uh, like walked behind him or... Yeah, ran down the hall after him. That's really impressive. Yeah. So The Shining's a big one. Sure. Rocky's a big one. Goodfellas is another classic example, too. Classic. Um, where Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco are going into the Copacabana, but they go through the back. Yeah. And they're followed like throughout like the back stairs into the kitchen, and then they finally come mm-hmm. out into their table. And um, it's like one uninterrupted like five minute shot or something. It's amazing, and it's um, I think when you see this, you're you might see it and not be a discerning film viewer and just say, "Well, that I didn't notice anything," right? Which is probably good. Yeah. Um, or you might be a fan of the Steadicam and just say, man, that was amazing. Uh, then you have to step back and look at lighting and realize that how incredibly hard it is to light a shot like that mm-hmm. that takes place over, I don't know how many hundreds of feet. Uh, well, without seeing the lights in the shot? Well, that or just consistent lighting and having it look good. I uh-huh. mean, that's just usually you light for like a room or something or a hallway. Right, yeah, yeah. But to light all those different rooms and hallways and... Uh, just incredibly, I can't imagine how long it took to set that shot up, you know? <laughs> they were like, wait, what do you want to do? Yeah. Yeah, it'll gonna, be great. Don't worry about stick it. Stick with me. <laughs> Stay with me. <laughs> uh, you know, he's making another gangster movie. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it may be like the, some folks are saying it's like, you know, his last big gangster movie. Uh, yeah. But I, it's got De Niro again. Okay. Uh, he hadn't worked with him in a long time. Um, okay. Pacino. Nice. And Joe Pesci is coming out of retirement. I didn't even know he was retired. I just thought he wasn't doing stuff anymore. No, man, he retired. I didn't know that. Yeah, so he's he's got the three heavyweights yeah. and supposedly Harvey Keitel, of course. you got to throw him in there. Sure. But I'm just, like, giddy thinking about this. Yeah, I, I'm glad he is because his last one was The Departed, right? No, he's made movies since then, like Wolf of Wall Street. No, no, his no, last, his last gangster. gangster movie. Yeah, which I thought was great. I know you didn't love it. I just didn't. I thought it was awesome. I thought everything but what Jack Nicholson did was was pretty good. Yeah? You yeah. didn't like his performance? No, I really didn't. Well. Sorry, Jack. He'll forgive that. Yeah, all right. Because you like him as an actor, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, what as good else? as it gets? Come on. <laughs> uh, Return of the Jedi, uh, 1983. The the famous um, speeder uh, bike chase scene. Mm-hmm. In, uh, On they- Endor. Yeah, California's Redwood National Park doubled as indoor. And that was Garrett Brown uh, walking, and they sped it up. Yeah, but and you're just like, wow, who cares? 
the 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 reason why it's such an iconic steady cam shot is because he walked very slowly. Yeah. And when you f- speed film up, the um, tiny movements involved are telegraphed. They just become much more exaggerated. Yeah. So without a steady cam, when they sped the film up, again, it would have been just so blurry and just jarring. It would have been unusable. Yeah. The fact that you can see the trees and stuff, and even at that high speed, it's all steady cam. Yeah, and people, I think it's just so easy to take it for granted now in movies when you see these shots. Yeah. But uh, to pioneer these these things and this equipment was was remarkable. Yeah. Uh, and nowadays you can, there are all manner of at home steady cam. You don't have to do like my brother and build one out of spare parts and door hinges. No. You can buy one uh, for not too much. Yeah, you can. You can spend a hundred dollars. Yeah. On a on a decent enough little home steady cam. The uh, this article says that the um, steady cam curve, which was made for GoPros, uh, is like a hundred bucks. Yeah, well, those are teeny tiny. And there's one for um, the iPhone called um, what's it called? The smoothie. That one is like it's like I think even less than a hundred bucks, and it's just like a handheld camera stabilizer that works pretty well from what i can gather yeah we should have had casey our video producer casey he's in france right now though yeah living the high life right we should baguettes. we should have had casey in here just giving thumbs up or thumbs down right. to each one of these brands that yeah. we mentioned yeah and i would trust that as like the gospel truth right uh but casey's not here so we're just gonna say read online reviews i also saw that there's like a, a lot of um gimbal based uh, drone steady cams. Yeah. That are just not, not that expensive. Well, they're drones, amazing. they're changing the game again. Sure. Cause then you can do a shot where you follow someone by the swimming pool and then fly up into outer space with them if you want. Yep. In one continuous motion. Yep. Like the Quisp monster. The what? The Quisp monster. You remember the alien from Quisp cereal? I uh, do remember Quisp. Remember the weird alien? Sort of. I didn't eat Quisp. Wasn't oh, that a Captain was Crunch knockoff, or was it different? It was different because they were saucer-shaped rather than square waffle cut. Gotcha. Same thing, though, yeah. Same thing. It was good. It didn't cut the tongue like Captain Crunch did. Oh, uh, yeah, the roof of the mouth. Mm-hmm. I'll suffer through that still. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Steadicam is a name brand. Right, we like should mention. Seeing Eye Dog. Yeah, it's made, uh, who makes it? Tiffin. Tiffin now. That's what, yeah, I think I think Tiffin does. They have a pretty good site. Like if you are at all interested in this, like they've got a great site and they have all of their Steadicam models with a real like in-depth overview of them and yeah. pretty uh I think it's got all their manuals and everything just right there for you to read. Yeah, there's other companies making them. Uh there's one called Glidecam and Verizoom. Yeah, but you know, Steadicam's still probably the giant. It's like Dolly's. There's only two Dolly makers. Well, or there may be more now, but it's like Chapman and Fisher, and each, you know, every dolly grip has a preference. Those are the dolly makers? Yeah, Chapman dollies or Fisher dollies. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, kind of holding Jameson or Bushmills. Yeah. You know? Budweiser or Coors? Neither. Uh, and then um, Garrett Brown, as if the Steadicam wasn't enough as far as revolutionizing filming goes, he later on invented something called the Skycam. Yeah. Which, like, if you watch any kind of sporting event now, especially it's especially useful for football in in football, um, where like it's there's just cables yeah. above the field and there's cameras hanging down that are just like doing overhead shots following the action like yeah. it's nothing. It's pretty neat. Garrett Brown invented that too. 
Uh, I got one more little thing for you. Uh, there are two positions, uh, not high mode, low mode. Positions are like how you're operating the camera, but, uh, if you are pointing forward as the operator and your camera is pointing forward, mm-hmm. you're just walking. It's called missionary. No. And then if you are, <laughs> uh, if the operator is forward and the camera is backward, they call that Don Juan. So leave it to film set goons to think of sexual names for sex it up camera positions. Don Juan? Yeah, I never heard of that one. I hadn't either. Well, if you want to know more about Steadicams, including a really, really fine-grain, involved look at the physics of how the Steadicam arm works, you should go type Steadicam into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, encouragement from a Christian listener. Okay. Hey, guys, I was listening to the Easter show and was compelled to write in. As a Christian, I've always appreciated how you make a solid effort to not rail on the church too hard. I found it humorous and simultaneously sad when you felt you had to tiptoe around the pagan traditions that have been uh, integrated with the resurrection. Uh, I find it disheartening to think that other believers can't find anything better to do than wait to be offended by something than jump all over you for it. But based on your years of experience and careful treatment of the subject, it must be the case a lot of the time. Personally, I just want to say I can't think of anything you've ever said to offend me. I think you've done a stand-up job with sensitive subjects, uh, like Satanic Panic in particular. Uh, it's also nice just to hear you talk about things directly related to my beliefs without sneering uh, like many others will. Uh, that's nice, Dane, in Minnesota. Yeah, for real, thing. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Dane did and be a super cool person, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can also follow the behind-the-scenes action of Chuck's In My Life um, at SYSK Podcast on Instagram. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know for The Hurt. And uh, you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. In the meantime, while you're doing all this, hang out with us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals, no microplastics, no nothing. Enjoy the smooth, clean taste of still rainwater or the cold pressured bubbles of sparkling rainwater. Just visit richardsrainwater.com to find a retailer near you. That's richardsrainwater.com. And for a coupon, text STUFF to 251-292-8887 and receive $2 off a 12-pack case of Richard's Rainwater. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.